Welcome to part two of our DLA Piper Tech Law podcast series. My name is Sandra Oyewole, and I'm a partner at the DLA Piper Nigeria office. I head our intellectual property and technology practice group. I also co-lead our employment practice group. With me today is my good friend, Professor Yinka David West, a lecturer at the Lagos Business uh, School, and it is an absolute delight to welcome her to this podcast. Welcome, Yinka, and uh, please introduce yourself. Thank you for having me here today. My name is Yinka David West. I'm a professor of information systems at the Lagos Business School, where I also function as academic director. My interests were really foiled by my background in technology, where I have a passion to see digital technologies drive business and societal change, especially in emerging markets like ours, where we have unique and challenges and problems. And one focal area is in the area of financial services and using digital financial services to address financial inclusion. So it's nice to be here, Sandra. One of the other things that you spoke about was innovation uh, and regulation. So I'm bringing the conversation back to that. The concerns with regulation are are that they tend to stifle Mm -hmm. innovation. Um, As beneficial as sandboxes are, um, one of our techpreneurs was expressing his own concerns about how the sandbox effectively gets any techpreneur that hasn't gone through the sandbox. As a lawyer, I mean, we're, we're, we are very, very big on laws, policies, and regulations because of the protective measures that they do bring, right? Um, and the conversation about what is the case for regulation where innovation is concerned is something that I would love to have your own input on. So Sandra, that's a, that's a hard one because you find out that with regulation, it's really about proportionate regulation and there are trade-offs to be made on both sides. And the central bankers would tell you about stability, integrity, and protection, but the fintechs will come and tell you about, oh, my app can do everything and, any, and everything you want it to do. How do we balance it? I think uh, regulation needs to be inclusive. It's not just about the regulatory statements and policies. It's also the process that we need to think about. How do we ensure that we are building an environment that caters to everyone? And the regulators need to learn that, oh, the ecosystem actors have grown, right? Because typically they're used to working with entities like banks and insurance companies and securities companies that are very few in number. And then all of a sudden you have 200 people that you have to have oversight over. Do they have the capacity? Do they have the tools and the training to understand that? And regulators also need to just basically level the playing field because whether we like it or not, consumers will also make their own choices. And this is the balance of how we need to address regulation. And I I was reading something um, in the press a couple of days ago about the issue about when you think about remittances, Remittances cost a lot of money, especially in sub-Saharan African markets, right? It might cost $90 to move money from Lagos to Uganda. And that's a big cost that might also can be transferred to the family in Uganda that you're trying to support. How do we crash these costs? And this is where cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin and things like that address those problems. But from a regulatory perspective, we have 
oh, it's prohibited in that sense. And consumers will do what works for them. So we also need to be proportionate in the, in the sense where there's valuable um, contributions that some of these things bring. And I, the World Bank has um, a, 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 a mandate to bring down the cost of remittances to about $5. How do we begin to address those things? So we need to solve problems and we need the regulators also need to be on board that we need to solve problems. So when you think about, for example, just using that remittances as a use case, Nigeria and African markets currently receive a lot of diaspora remittances into the whole economic system. When those begin to reduce, especially with the loss of work and loss of jobs in COVID eras, we need to ensure that we can maximize what we're sending rather than having the banks and the, and, and the corresponding banks that are doing all the transmissions and get the benefits. How do we ensure that those benefits get to the poor people? So from a regulation perspective, we need to be progressive, I think, in, in general. The market for products are evolving and growing, and we need to adopt a test and learn approach because we don't have all the answers. And there are risks in some of these products and services. So we need to be a bit more open rather than prohibitive. And I, another thing that came out from the um, Cambridge study was the fact that, you know what, you know, what do fintechs need from regulators? They need faster responses, right? faster authorizations, because don't forget that in the world we live in today, time to market is important, right? If it takes you one year to get product approval, the market has changed. The, the, the whole innovation has died even before it could get to the market in that sense. And then we also need to think about regulatory forbearance, which is where the sandbox comes in. But then mm -hmm. again, how do we ensure that whether it's a sandbox, whether it's forbearance or whatever, is applied equitably? So if, whether you go through a sandbox or you don't go through a sandbox, how do you ensure that you can get your product to market in a timely fashion in that sense? We've seen transformation over this period. How do we continue and reap the benefits of those transformations that we've adopted over this period in the whole process cycle of product approval in general? Because the, the market is willing to test, the, um, the producers are willing to develop, but when you don't have that regulatory approval, then we need to think about alternative approaches. And this is where we've also talked about, oh, it's better to ask for forgiveness than to ask for permission. So, but then we want to also ensure that consumers are protected in the, in, in the same way, because we, we have had some incidents in terms of um, pyramid schemes and things like that, but we want to ensure that consumers are protected. So, Yinka, um, I, I think one term that resonates is innovative regulation. Um, we do definitely have good regulation. And um, what I'm also hoping is that, take, for instance, the sandbox um, uh, regulation. The Central Bank of Nigeria has called for comments, and I do sincerely hope that um, all that are affected by it will have sent in their comments, because that is also another way for regulators to ensure that the regulation is innovative. If they have the input from all the players, all the stakeholders, that, that, that can only help. Um, and that allows for good regulation. And um, when you get it right, um, um, the entire industry um, benefits from it. When we're talking about regulation, I mean, one of the things that uh, comes to mind has to be data protection. 
Um, with the uptick in uh, use of digital products and services, the gathering of data has only accelerated. I mean, uh, in, in the health sector, the amount of data that is being collected right now because of COVID-19 is totally unprecedented. And I, I do know that our own regulatory agency has striven towards looking at ensuring that there is awareness of the need for good data uh, governance. Um, irrespective of what the regulation says, there is a need for good data governance practices because it, it's not a question of um, if, but a matter of when, where cybersecurity issues are concerned. So I, I, I wanna drill down into what your thoughts are where companies are concerned, what should they be focused on where cybersecurity is concerned? Yes, you have the regulations, you have the laws, you have the policies. What should you, as management, be concerned with? What should you be focused on where cybersecurity is concerned? Okay, so Sandra, let me, let me backtrack a little bit. You see, it, in the good old days, IT was sort of limited to these geeky type of people and it's your problem to go and solve. But now IT is mainstream. And so we, it's a problem for the entire organization, not just for a few people within the organization. So having that mindset, first of all, and that digital mindset and that responsibility mindset started out actually when we started advocating IT governance, especially after the release of the SOX, um, SOX licensing, um, SOX regime framework and things like that earlier on. And this came out of certain practices that happened in the business place. But then again, self-regulation is something that we're also, we also try, need to promote because we can't just be guided by the carrot and stick approach in that sense. So the, the Nigeria Data Protection Regulation is a good policy right? It seeks to protect personally identifiable data and create that appetite for data governance in Nigerian businesses. Some people don't realize that, oh, data governance is a task and a responsibility, both for the technology people, for across, across the value chain, from the people generating and collecting the data to the storage, to the use and transmission, to the, you know, all, everybody is responsible. And even the data subject is responsible. Exactly. So, but, but a lot of people don't, they don't think of data as an asset. Mm. When you look at it and think, you go to someone's office, Sandra, and you ask, you ask to sign a visitor's register. You can see everybody that has been into that building. That's also an infringement, right? So how do we ensure that we protect the privacy and rights of Nigerian citizens, both at home and abroad? Because that is a constitutional duty of any government in general. So the NDPR seeks to do this. But then again, it's hard to do. Compliance is hard. It's, like, it's easy to put out a policy, right? But then again, how do you ensure people comply? The last um, the study done by the Smedan the and the Nigerian Bureau of Statistics reported that we have about 41.6 million small, medium, and micro organizations. So give or take, yeah. right? We're going to have about three or four million companies that need to sort of report back on their compliance, which is an annual report, right? Mm. So how will, the, how will the regulator review, even if it's one million reports annually? Just think about the processing load 
And this is where, again, how do we think about market provisioning, reg tech solutions to enable efficiency in that space? And these are big opportunities as far as I'm concerned, because data governance also, we now need to take it away from IT to the mainstream business and board level. Because the bottom line is that that's where the responsibility and the liability falls at the board level. And when you look at cybersecurity, Sandra, we know that, and I tell my students that you can't get to a situation where you have 100% protection because the risks are evolving every single day. So what do you put in place to ensure that you're protecting, you're checking, you're, 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 you're looking at things. I think there was a report the other day about how this white, uh, white hat hacker sort of penetrated a bank system and he now went to promote himself on, on, on social media and then got arrested in the process as well. Okay, but no, but that's a serious issue because the, how many of these breaches are happening every day and how are we taking responsibility for these breaches? So when you think about cybersecurity, the pandemic also actually exploded the risks of cybersecurity, because we saw a surge in phishing, phishing attacks, for example. And then when the government announced the palliatives and incentives and things like that, that's when the, the, the cyber theft thieves also came on board and sort of tried to capitalize by getting people to sort of um, sign up to their schemes in general. But I think that as, as technology people, we need to begin to advocate for the safe use of technology. We need to begin to share the knowledge that there's two sides to every story. While the technology is good, but we also need to build that cyber awareness so people can protect their systems and their networks because like the thief isn't coming through the door anymore. The thief is coming through the cable or he's already in, either through some malware, some phishing scam or something that's sitting on your computer that's also, um, that's taking information from you. And once you connect your computer to any other network or any other computer, you're sort of propagating the vulnerability in that sense. So, but this also needs talent, Sandra, right? We have a data protection regulation. We have, um, we have, we ha we have uh, DPCOs that have to do the work every year and work with clients. Do we have the talent? One, we need to think about how do we begin to build programs in our Niger in our local universities around information security, around data protection, around data security, because all those things complement and give business the confidence to be able to say, we can do it. And we know that it's not a milestone approach. It's an evolutionary approach. And we need to continually build those skills and those capabilities within the organization. So these business activities, we need to get our tertiary institutions working. We need to realize that the fourth industrial revolution is here. You know, we're talking about interconnectedness, right? Your phone, your watch, your this, your bring your own device. How do we cope with all these things? Because information is flying around everywhere. How do we ensure that we're compliant, people are using it responsibly and adhering to company policies in terms of data use and data exchange? No, absolutely, um, Yinka. I mean, the cybersecurity experts will tell you that the weakest link is the human being. So the point about the talent uh, needing to be developed is absolutely critical um, with COVID-19 and all of us moving to working from home. Um, that just uh, expanded the opportunity for the security breaches. Uh, so definitely um, the, the point of the C-level executives and boards 
focusing on this issue. It, it, it's a mindset um, issue, and it, it, it's 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 a journey. It's not just filing your annual data audit report as required by the regulation. It's more than that. It's training your staff. It's making everyone understand that the issue of data protection is the business of everyone. Um, I think that at this point, uh, we've come to the end of this um, discussion. Are there any final words that you'd like to share? I think just related to what you just said now regarding COVID, working from home, data protection, I, I would really say we need to rethink the extended enterprise, right? And think how do we continually build all those practices that we sort of designed around a single location around the extended enterprise. And that also realizes that organizations and businesses that are deploying technology need to be a bit more agile, need to be open to the fact that it's a process and it's not just about buying the solutions, but it's about building those digital capabilities within their organizations. And the digital leadership is required as well across the business. I'm an IT person, but I really would not want to be making IT decisions. I want the business to make the decisions and guide using the technology. We need to think about data governance a bit more and begin to create those rules. Because right now, the mantra is data is the new oil. But data is only the new oil when we can use it and use it for solving problems and addressing issues in business and society as well. And I, I always hamper on society because we only think about the business side. But again, even that societal development is also just as important. And when you think about education, for example, the education industry is one that also is creating new inequalities because Private schools can afford the whole go online. How about the public schools? How about, you know, so how do we rethink education in a manner that we can be inclusive and it can be open to all in general? So I, it, it, I, in my own view, there's a lot to be done. There's a lot of conversations that we need to continue having. There's a lot of intersections between the regulator, the government actors, the private sector, the civil society and the um, yeah, and the and the and the globe and the world in general, but it's about aggregating all these people together on a platform and continually to drive and continually drive change and drive development. So on that note, I will bring the conversation to an end and say thank you very much to Professor Yinka David West for joining us on this DLA Piper Tech Law podcast series. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure.